so why the arts? Um, the arts are kind of like among many things, they are tools to kind of reach into the minds of other people and touch them and and allow them to see these things without me making a direct political statement. It's a lot of noise and people kind of shut down. That's what happens. The arts do the opposite. The arts open up the things that you think, oh, I don't like this or I reject this. Sometimes you'll you'll experience a piece of art that completely changes your mind about that. Welcome to Millennial Moments, a podcast for millennials and anyone interested in breaking down the way things are, creating a new paradigm, or just interested in what our generation has to say. The aim of each episode is to examine our fears, share our passions, rip apart cultural norms, and examine our deeply held beliefs by holding space for one another in honest, raw conversation. It's time we stop being spoken for and start speaking up. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Millennial Moments. I'm your host, Madeline, and today I'm speaking with Gina, who is my friend from college, from Penn. Um, We actually met before even getting to college, we figured out I met her on a site called RoomSurf which before kids were using Facebook or whatever other platforms I'm sure exist today to find potential college roommates, we all logged on to this website called RoomSurf where you take a quiz about your likes and your dislikes and your interests and what time you wake up and how clean you are, etc. And with the goal being to match you with a good potential roommate. Uh, Gina and I did not end up rooming together, but we did um, end up being really good friends. And who would have thought that just about five years later, we're sat in my flat in London, enjoying a tea together, talking about art, philosophy, politics, and moving abroad to the UK. I mean, life is so crazy, y'all. Anyway, it's really conversations like these that are the reason I wanted to start this podcast. Gina is so inspirational, not only in everything that she's accomplished at such a young age, but also in the way that she carries herself, the way that she speaks, and how she just doesn't let hard situations stand in the way of all that she knows that she's been put on this earth to do. Obviously, Gina is my friend, but she's also a very accomplished artist, writer, and editor, currently based in London. She's getting her master's in fine arts at Goldsmiths, originally from New Jersey. She works really interdisciplinary, so she's not just a writer, not just an artist. She works with many different materials in many different spaces. We'll talk in the episode about um, some of the current themes um, and research that she's focusing on in her art. Um, It's really fascinating and she has um, some exhibitions coming up in London actually that we'll mention in the show. And a side note, she's also a 2019 Venice Biennale Fellow under the British Council, which is insane. So she'll be going to the Venice Biennale um, as a representative of both Goldsmiths and the UK, which is just incredible. We talked about so many things um, in this episode that are really important. We talk about the complacency that can come with privilege, the political situation and how that can affect freedom of expression. 
and we talk about the importance of art and why it may be more important than ever in today's world. We also talk a lot about transitions because I think as we're all figuring out, life is really just a series of one big transition after another. And it's about figuring out how to navigate those smoothly while learning all the lessons that life is throwing us along the way. So I really hope you guys will enjoy this as much as I enjoyed speaking with Gina. So grab a cup of tea or not if you're driving or walking your dog or just get comfortable and let's get to it. So I'm here with Gina, (laughs) my friend from Penn. So I think we'll, I guess, yeah, start with how I know you. Which is, so we both went to the University of Pennsylvania, and actually I was just remembering, I think we matched on room surf. Oh yeah, oh my gosh. Literally when I was thinking about how I knew you, it was from like before we even got got to school, and then once we got there, I was like, oh, let's be friends. Yeah, I was like, she seems cool. Yeah, so... Gina is an, was an art major. An English. English major, yeah. So English you, and fine art. Can yep. you talk, I guess, a little bit sure. about what you studied and then also um, what it was like, I guess, to pursue a more, quote, creative route in mm-hmm. one, a really competitive environment, but then also, I don't know, kind of the, I don't know if it's a stigma, but the thing out there that's like, if you are in college, you want to know exactly what you're like doing mm-hmm. with your degree afterwards, but I guess just start with what you studied sure yeah um well let's see uh yes yeah, so high school was like super um competitive and crazy in the sense that you know went to a traditional american high school but i started taking all these ap courses because i realized i wanted to go to a good college um that would kind of set me up well um which is why everyone goes to penn because you go to penn to try to go on this path to success and um, I think that's common with a lot of top uh, American universities Um, and so um, I kind of always knew I wanted to do an English degree actually because my mom was a really big advocate of that because she had done an English degree and then she went into the business world with it and she would always advocate for how she had these great you know uh, communication skills that maybe other business people uh, weren't as uh, astute at or uh, as strong with. And um, my mom always wanted to be a writer, but she decided to go into business because that was more of a, you know, a stronger, more lucrative path, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But she wanted to kind of wanted me to nourish those talents. And then my father's a graphic designer and uh, he was always kind of pushing my creative uh, sensibilities with the visual aspects um but I kind of was more of a fine artist in the sense that um I didn't want to design for commercial things I wanted to make my own art that expressed uh you know things about humanity and society and whatnot so anyway all that brought me to Penn actually because uh Penn English is a really amazing program um the Kelly Writers House at Penn was like my home base yeah I kind of touched yeah (laughs) I touched base with them immediately like before I applied there, I thought it was like the coolest place ever. And then when uh, Jamie Lee Joslin, who yeah. um, is a recruitment person who I later worked with, um, she was my um, advisor as well. She, it, it was just, um, it was it was amazing. Um, I discovered this place. It was, it was like, it felt like a dream. And when I got in, it felt like a dream. So I, I immediately went down the English major path 
because I thought like under my mother's advice, I can get that. I could then maybe go into a certain career path that's a little more lucrative. But then I also put on that fine arts uh, <laughs> major as well. So it was a dual major, English fine arts with a creative writing uh, honors concentration. Um, so there's something to say too that like Penn was really amazing in the sense that you could do that. You could do two yeah. different majors and you know, they were obviously highly related in the sense that they were both humanities and in the arts, but also two separately, totally separate programs. So um, it was kind of really nice that I can switch on between being a writer and being an, a visual artist and like kind of have two separate communities. Um, and then my big thing at Penn was I founded Symbiosis, which was, uh, you know, a publication and a uh, community for writers and artists and uh, collaborations between them. And I was, you know, that was my passion project for the four years I was at Penn. I was going to mention that because, no, I I had that (laughs) written down actually because I remember you founding that and also coming to some of the original, I think, meetings that you had to pair writers and artists. That's a great photo of you actually. Oh, I just have to find that. Yeah, Yeah, because I I found it like (laughs) fascinating and also something I'd never seen before because, you know, I'm a writer and really like to write, but also have an interest, you know, in the art world and visual art Mm -hmm. and see kind of um yeah how you can express the same message but through both modalities and found it really cool that that was something that Mm -hmm. you also saw I guess and can see in two different people and you can pair them together and the I guess message that you're getting across can be even that more much more powerful when you have it kind of in these two different ways yeah yeah yeah, I mean, the the whole mission behind symbiosis was kind of understanding the psychi- psychologies of people and kind of allowing the literary magazine format to be revamped in the sense that 99% of literary magazines are just composed with, you know, uh, the editors pick out poetry or fiction or nonfiction, however they're composing their, their, their written content, and then picking out images that kind of illustrate or, you know, um, they might just take. Uh, samples of artworks from different artists that don't necessarily correlate to the writing so with symbiosis the whole conceptualization was that let's actually actively make a like collaborative exchange where the artists and writers are working directly together um kind of senses of co-authorship or co-conception being part of it and really experimental um part of it is like you have to take away some of your ownership and your subjectivity and like be willing to say, okay, like I did this with, the, you know, I created this with this other person. It doesn't necessarily look like my normal aesthetic, but it pushed me in ways that I hadn't thought I could go before. So it was a lot of that. And over the four years that we worked on symbiosis, we worked with over 400 uh, student artists and writers and some alumni and some professionals of extended Philadelphia on the project. So we did have like a really great, um, you know, community that formed around it. Wow, that's amazing. Do they still have that going as a publication at Penn, or did you kind of disband it when you left? We disbanded it, and that was a really tough decision um, because I think at Penn there are a lot of these really amazing arts groups that kind of um, have legacies to them, mm-hmm. and they've been around for you know so many years. And you know the stu- new students who join them every year, they get so excited because you know this person from this class at Penn was in here and. 
that's something really nice. So it was really tough to have to actually fold and not and say that we're not going to do that because um, I really didn't have the right person to hand it off to. And it was kind of so imbued into my own subjectivity as an artist and writer that if you don't have the right person steering the ship, it's going to become something else. And I was totally fine with the sense that everyone that I'd worked with on Symbiosis, we had like a staff of about 15 people every year um, working on it. Um, everyone kind of went off and used the things that we built together for their own projects or for their own new collaborations. So um, I know there, there are different publications that have kind of surfaced at Penn and I think it's also totally normal within publication, you know, independent publishing world that there is a time limit of a, of a community coming together and then disbanding. And, you know, I'm still really happy and proud of what we accomplished within those four years because it, it's really led us all to new places within our creative practices. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. And rather than like diluting what was your original vision, it's kind of like exactly. having this really strong thing that you all then built upon to go out and do your own stuff right and you see that like even everywhere in like the publishing uh especially magazine world like sometimes a a brand gets rebranded and then it's something else entirely and I didn't want that because I wanted my like original vision just preserved for what it was Mm. that makes sense so I guess next I want to touch on um your post-grad journey I Mm. think definitely for our generation, but I mean, <laughs> many, we kind of have this view, especially coming from, you know, the Ivy League or the schools that we went to, you have this vision of what happens next. You have your whole life planned and um, it just, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone where that's really happened the way that you imagined it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, can you speak to, I guess, what happened when you yeah. graduated and kind of where you went next yeah well it's like i'm already like deep breaths um because <laughs> it brings back the anxiety just yeah, thinking it about brings it back the anxiety right um well because symbiosis was my passion project it was really tough emotionally because i had to let that go mm. and letting go of that also was letting go of the community that was formulated around it and that was like such a huge cruxus of my identity for four years that right. it was like, who am I now? And who am I without being this person at Penn that everyone knows as the symbiosis, you know, editor in chief. And um, that was tough emotionally of just like kind of moving on and, you know, and also finding a job. I mean, the most practical of yeah. things. I was like, okay, I'm going to move back home. And I'm going to apply for jobs. And, the, you know, um, so I because I didn't want to stress out too much of in the creative world, like it's going to be like one in a million. Someone's going to drop a perfect job on your lap. You have to like apply mm-hmm. and network, put yourself out there. So what I did was I went home and my parents are um, right outside New York City. And I started applying and I was interviewing and I was not hitting the right job. And I think I actually looked recently in my my documents, I think I interviewed 14 times at different media wow. companies in mostly in magazines. And then I finally got offered a job later on in the, in the autumn for a book publisher. And, uh, that was just a whole emotional journey. Um, so that I, was I think a few, few months people know about it. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think five months after graduation, which like, I think it was a whole emotional journey for me too, because 
being a part of the Penn community, um, all of my peers were going into kind of more uh, corporate jobs that were kind of fixed. They maybe had their offer more than a year before graduating or a few months. They kind of had their paths carved out for them. They maybe were even jumping uh, beyond the entry level job. And in the creative industries, it's really not how it works. In fact, it's like the opposite with exploitation. Like they want you to work for free or as an intern. And I was not willing to do that because I had done so many internships while I was a student. So I wanted an entry level job. But even that, it was so cutthroat. And as I said, I interviewed, I think, 14 times and just didn't strike luck until uh, the 15th job uh, or 15th uh, interview rather. Yeah. So I was working for a big five book publisher, which all of them are owned by mega um, parent companies. Um, So they're probably the most creative side of the corporate world, but they're still in the corporate world. And so you still are in a cubicle. You're still at your nine to five job and you um, you get great things with that in the sense that there are benefits and health insurance and, you know, uh, even had a 401k. That was cool. At 22, I was like, look at me. I'm, I'm pretty grown up. Um, but, um, and well, let me say, I was really excited about my job in book publishing because I really actually loved the work. Um, I was uh, proofing and proofreading uh, different manuscripts. And um, that takes like super meticulous attention to detail. If you've ever heard of the Chicago Manual of Style, basically my job was to memorize as much of that as possible, then reference it as quickly as I could to then really proof everything to make sure that there were no errors, no grammatical errors, stylistic errors. Um, And then I was also working on eBooks and that was looking at all the different errors that happen Um, when you translate from print to digital. So basically the way a lot of publishing companies work or almost all of them is they create a print product and then they put it in different formats. And so in that translation from print to digital, there's a lot of errors that can happen. And I was that person that would basically catch them all or try to catch as much as as much as I could. Um, So the work was like something really specific, but also something I already had uh, some internship experience in and um, it was really fun, but it was also very grueling because it's the corporate world and you get a lot of books put on you. And eventually I was not feeling fulfilled in that job. And, um, and eventually I, as in like, how, how long, how long were you working? <laughs> <laughs> so if you talk, if you talk to most people, they'll be like, Oh, you know, I stayed in my first job for a few years. And I like, for me, years were months mm. in the sense that, um, after a certain amount of months, I, I wasn't, I didn't have a mentor. And that was huge. If I had a mentor, could have maybe my whole story here could be different. But I didn't have a mentor, and uh, and when I say that, it was just I just couldn't click with anyone that was really willing to take me under their wing. Um, and so I didn't feel supported. I didn't feel fulfilled. I did. I I felt like I was uh, growing much faster. Like the type of work that I was doing, I um, was. <laughs> I was one of those. It was one of those things where you're the entry level person in the company, but then the managers are coming to you asking you how to do this, and and you're teaching them. And eventually, that got really tiresome because I wasn't being like recognized, or if anything, when it came time for that annual review, 
Uh, it was yeah. like, okay, you're doing a good job, but that's, this is what everyone should be doing. Instead of actually recognizing that I was well exceeding what I was hired for. Um, and so I really wasn't willing to play that game because my creative ambitions were kind of beyond this type of really specific work. And I think a lot of times you need the right people to work with and the right mentor. And, you know, that just wasn't there for me. Yeah, that's something that I've definitely admired in you. Just kind of that you, number one, could recognize that, okay, this isn't fulfilling me. And then number two, I guess, make the decision to act upon it. I think Mm -hmm. so many of us are scared that especially after having gone through months of rejection and not having anything that there's not going to be anything else so we hold on really tightly to whether it's a job or you know something else holding on to something that probably isn't really serving us but we're not making room for something better to come in because we're scared so what did you um I guess how did you approach then Um, yeah transitioning moving on from that um well it was one of those like really awesome random things from the universe where (laughs) two of my former employers decided to uh sponsor a fellowship back at Penn uh that was a professional fellowship and so the two former employers were the Kelly Writers House where I was working there in the past as a work-study student and the Institute of Contemporary Art and they created uh an engagement fellowship is what they called it Um, basically to support young, um, arts professionals to, you know, who, who get the fellowship to have an impact on the content community and the arts, because generally over, over, overall at Penn, they were realizing that the arts have a lot of power and they were investing a lot more in the arts. The, um, Keith and Kathy Sachs, um, family um are a huge uh donor family at Penn that uh have sponsored a lot at the Institute of Contemporary Art but uh most recently they founded the Sachs Center for Arts Innovation which now is a new grant making hub specifically for arts projects at Penn for professors for students for um the different um centers at Penn um so that's their their gift to open up that center has been transformative and so this fellowship happened right at like a perfect time or kind of as part of this movement of investing in the arts and the professional development of uh, arts alumni at Penn and to have an impact. And so um, also at Penn, just side note, they have a bunch of like engagement fellowships, but none that were focusing on the arts. So this was it basically. Um, So that happened at the same time. I applied for that and I got it because I mean, I had already worked with so many of these people before. So it was like really cool to kind of (laughs) like, I had been away, I'd worked in this other world, if you will, and then come back to a world that I already knew, but I was like older, more mature, had a lot more experience. And because I'd been away, I kind of came to with a new set of ideas and fresh eyes about how to have impact as that engagement fellow and how to kind of get the students in the arts at Penn to have more magnitude. And, um, you know, first of all, that started out with creating awareness about what programs exist at Penn, so... I can talk all about it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's cool. Yeah, so then I want to transition to talk about your art. And then also um, now you're kind of full-time, I guess, focusing Mm -hmm. on your art through getting your master's. So, um, yeah, if you can talk about um, getting your master's and then um, what how you've been able to refocus on 
um, actually just making stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Basically, like, since graduation, it's just been a lot of, like, transitions and, like, trying to get wherever that, like, ideal place is. So even with my fellowship at Penn, it was amazing and awesome, but it still wasn't quite right in the sense that really what I want to be doing is just working as an artist and writer myself. Um, work on the, working on the institutional end, of course, though, is tremendously helpful and, you know, um, creating supportive environments for, um, the public and whoever you're being an ambassador for, like, that's obviously hugely important, um, to being an artist. So basically I was kind of then, like, I turned away from the corporate creative world and then I turned to this kind of like institutional world of the arts, but also very loose, um, and then turning from that is like then transitioning or I'm saying turning, transitioning, um, turning to then make it focused on me. <laughs> right. Because so all the coming first, back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Because like the first thing as an artist, you, you got to invest in yourself. And so uh, I applied to MFA programs. Uh, I only applied to two. I interviewed with two and I got accepted to one and that was with Goldsmiths. And I was quite happy with that because I only applied to two and Goldsmiths was awesome. And um, they're, they're known for like this international base of uh, within the MFA program um, of artists coming from all over the world. And kind of everyone has a lot of impact after they graduate. Um, and a lot of the rigor of the degrees, like what sets you up to kind of think through those big questions within your own practice and within the greater art world structure um and so uh yeah now you know the past seven months I've been within the program I left the fellowship everything was great there handed things off and um then have been just trying to figure out how to be a professional artist working full-time in the sense that I am a full-time student so like I'm giving my I'm buying myself time basically to figure this out um, but I'm tr treating it as professionally as I can. So I'm, you know, reaching out to places, I'm setting up different exhibitions, I'm making contact at the same time of just developing my practice and figuring out like, it's kind of like on um, training bills. And then once I finish my degree, then I'm, and then I'm, I got to ride, I got to know how to ride. So <laughs> can you um, talk about, I guess, the, the type of work, the type of art that you're doing you describe yourself as kind of an into interdisciplinary mm -hmm. artist which I think is really interesting um mm -hmm. so yeah can you touch on yeah. your work and how I guess it how it's evolved as well yeah yeah um so interdisciplinary is just kind of like the fancy word we use that says it engages across fields or across disciplines so um you know maybe even like 20 years ago people used to say I'm a painter or I'm a sculptor I'm um you know they would say what like media they focused in and right now as part of the 21st century really it's m people in the art world and art, all of us the cultural people are just like realizing that the disciplines don't really matter anymore and that you can work across them and it's really the ideas shape the medium uh, that you choose um so for me um interdisciplinary was kind of uh, the foundation I came from or built up really at Penn in the sense that I was doing the creative writing, the English literature courses, and then the, um, uh, the fine art courses along with the liberal arts courses that are part of the Penn degree. 
Um, so that also included, you know, astronomy, uh, formal linguistics, geology, geology, <laughs> right? All the courses that you're like, this is actually really hard because it's at Penn. So even like the the 101 courses at Penn were really difficult. Um, so that in general is what interdisciplinary means. Um, so that's kind of been the foundation I came from. And now within my practice, it's a lot of like, you know, sometimes my practice involves me just writing and thinking out the philosophy of what I'm engaging with. Um, I think reading and writing are huge parts of my practice. And then um, generally what I'm working on is what I'm calling um, material or spatial poetics. And so that's when I'm working with language and then pulling it out of like the book format and thinking about how these like, uh, you know, systems of iconography, of of um, semiotics, of markings, of scribbles, if you look at like the work of uh, C. Twombly, how those can exist in space beyond like the traditional book format. So I'm like looking at architecture and like the combination of space, architecture, and language or poetics um, and how all those things intersect. And so it's, it's pretty theoretical, but I'm kind of grounding my work in philosophy now. And so I'm looking at a lot of different philosophers and then also across the disciplines again um so like contemporary art is probably the most expansive like field you can work in in the sense that just about anything could be art and so then just about any field can intersect with what you're doing depending on how you work that's how I work (laughs) how do you stay really intentional about carving out time to both you know produce your art but also to have that space to read to get inspired to write that all informs your work and is very necessary but I feel like could easily be glossed over yeah um I think it's really tough um I think like that's one of those questions so it's like okay let's ask someone with like 20 years experience in the art world uh how how they've figured it out themselves but um here I am like I'm just getting started and the thing that I've realized actually is because of my pen background or whatever, the, the, that foundation pen built for me, I've actually been doing almost like too much reading and writing in the sense that I, within the past like six to seven months, it's almost like I've been afraid to just start making the visual stuff yeah and I was kind of like it's almost like I was procrastinating by like doing all this like research like a safety crutch isn't it exactly you can always know more and learn more and get better and better but that prohibits you from just yeah doing anything yeah so that's literally like what the realization I had of like okay this is a crutch like you need to just just make stuff and and I think being at, at goldsmiths and in Britain like you know um they're a bit more indirect. And then I kind of figured out what they were saying to me in the sense that I need to just start making stuff. Right. Like, um, so the feedback that I got that totally makes sense of what I needed to be doing is let the practice drive the theories and the philosophies rather than the other way around. And that actually totally makes sense because like I, for a while there, I was like defending myself, like I'm a writer, you know, this is the way I do things. Stop messing my psychology on this. Like you get really defensive but then you really got to like let things soak in and then you realize like, no, I think they know what they're talking about. Like, you know, let, let the materials, let the, um, the actual like aha art, art making moments, like let that drive the theories and philosophies other than the, uh, rather than the other way around. And so, um, 
yeah, like, that's what I'm trying to work on now. Just, like, picking out the materials and just making stuff and caring less about trying to justify it with, like, other people's ideas. Oh, that's so important. I feel like it can (laughs) apply to so many different areas of life, too. Right. (laughs) What, um topics are you looking at at the moment in any current projects or yeah research slash also making (laughs) yeah yeah um so again I'm working with language a lot and one um project that I think will hopefully like be huge once I get it to that level is um I transcribed this manuscript actually going back to Penn it was like my junior year at Penn I transcribed pages of it not the whole thing it's like an 800 page volume. Um, and when I say manuscript, it uh, is an old one that's like, you know, all, uh, what's the word? It, it's, it's old. Um, dusty. <laughs> it's old and dusty. Yeah, thank you. I'm like, what was, yeah. And um, it was written by this guy named Francis Daniel Pastorius, who founded Germantown, Pennsylvania, that became part of Philadelphia, which right. is eventually where the American democracy was born. And the manuscript uh, is what you call a commonplace book, and that is um, basically like a scrapbook of like writings that you you copy from other books that you want to hold on to. And he created this book to pass on to his sons, and he also, you know, by extension, was creating it as a uh, philosophical model of how to formulate the society that he was founding. And so. Uh, I find it to be a really important work and I was transcribing it and then I etched it and I now like once I get to a certain level I'll have duplicates of it and I'm going to be expanding it out as as a more conceptual like uh, publishing project of um, people kind of looking at the different things that he had written about and kind of adding in their own um, interpretations of how this kind of fits like American civic values. Uh, You know some of the language like sounds extremely outlandish or like ridiculous today some of it kind of still vibes with us and I think it's subjective to your identity in America of who you are and where you come from so um commonplacing is kind of like I'm using that as a theoretical framework uh within some of my other projects um also the concept of palimpsest it's another like fancy word that just means uh you know a palimpsest was a, a piece of writing that was written over and erased and redacted and so Palimpsest is like just a really nice word to use metaphorically to think about processes of like thought and and, and identity and kind of the tactile qualities that um, go with when you transcribe or draw and put your thoughts and ideologies into like marks, mm. um, whether that's through language or through, you know, drawing or something else. Um so generally, those are the kind of the things that I'm That's thinking so about and what I'm working yeah. on. Yeah. And what um, materials are you working with or being drawn to? Yeah. Um, so right now, printmaking. So like etching and um, I'm actually going to do a residency later um, over in Venice at a book art center. I'm going to be using the letterpress. Um, wow. So that, like, the old, That's so cool. Yeah. So the old fashioned letterpress. Um and then obviously a lot of digital work um, that I will then like print out and um, print onto different materials. Um, so screen printing is where I'm hoping to take uh, some of my work, like to print it on different materials. Um, so again, kind of like upholding the tactile qualities, like that's really kind of like something that I'm defining my work by right now, but I'm hoping to engage with the digital as well. Like uh, I'm trying, I'm, I'm having like 
a whole philosophical discussion about that in my head uh, somewhere else. So. <laughs> well, yeah, put, we'll put a pin in that. And I'm sure we'll, we'll see, see how it plays out. Um, so I'd like to, I guess, touch on kind of zoom out the lens and talk about the importance of art in today's society and why it's probably more important than ever. I mean, it's also really interesting to connect, you know, now you are studying abroad and you're Mm. interested in, you know, connecting through your art through an international, with an international audience. And, you know, we're also hyper aware of what's going on in the world and society. And, you know, it's not like this is anything new, you know, I think generations before us will say Mm -hmm. there's always been problems. Everyone has always thought the world's going to end, you know, (laughs) next year. When we think of art, sometimes we can think of it's all about the artist and you're all in our head and we're all just, Mm. you know, uh, creating our own personal experience. Mm. And so even with symbiosis and Mm -hmm. kind of the focus that your work has always taken has been kind of, it's about me and my experience, but also... You know, connecting, connecting with yeah with yeah. the world so yeah long-winded question of, yeah yeah how so, do you see it, it as playing out yeah I mean I think <laughs> there's no way to like skirt around the politics uh ge- you know geopolitically social politically socioeconomically whatever level you want to analyze them at um of what's going on in the world right now and so like we're seeing the rise of uh fascism and um, neoliberalism is like causing huge inequalities everywhere in the world. Um, so if anything, me being outside of America has made me more awake and aware and more agitated to do something. Um, I think when you're in America, you're really under this privilege of your American citizenship of you don't really have to do much to like, you know, you can generally live pretty comfortably in American society and everyone's aware of that, which is why so many different people from all over the world want to emigrate to America. Um, But with that privilege, I think people sometimes become complacent or just not as fully aware of, of what, you know, of what's going on in the world and what they, what they can personally individually do to help others Mm -hmm. uh and why they should help others because there's even that like we're at that point politically that you have to explain why it's important you help people who are not as you know uh capable as you are not don't have the same access or responsibility you know all those questions so just to preface that so why the arts um the arts are kind of like among many things, they are tools to kind of reach into the minds of other people and touch them and and allow them to see these things without me making a direct political statement. Um, you know, no, you know, with what's happened on social media, um, it's a lot of noise and people kind of shut down. That's what happens. The arts do the opposite. The arts open up the things that you think, oh, I don't like this or I reject this. Sometimes you'll you'll experience a piece of art that completely changes your mind about that. And that's like what is amazing about art in general. Um, so the power of the arts is incredible because um, it's, it's the way people communicate. It's the way people express themselves. It's how they're heard. It's how they're represented. And um, it's really important that people of different identities get that represent, representation. Um, 
whether it's in the visual arts or in, you know, um, in writing and literature and film, that they are there and that their identities are present. Um, and so everywhere in the art world, everywhere in the arts, uh, a lot of, you know, institutions are reckoning with that. How can we, you know, they're asking these questions, how can we decolonize the museum? How can we include these people that have been marginalized and systematically oppressed for forever, basically? Um, so there are just so many also wonderful people who are kind of being, you know, um, leaders in kind of showing the way of how to maybe approach these things. Um, but generally arts are like fundamental to society. Um, I don't have any statistical reports in front of me, but economically they generate tons of profit and revenue for, uh, you know, countries. And so being here in Britain has been really great actually, because first of all, I don't need to explain why I'm an artist. That's a huge thing. In the United States, the first people ask you when you're, you know, American, you grew up being American, is how do you make money? Which is like the first question that I asked you, I guess, because I ant anticipate that. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, there's still kind of like a romantic notion of the artist, which is kind of nice in the sense that you don't have to justify why you're an artist. They kind of just respect that you've chosen that path, whether it's lucrative or not, you've chosen it. And um, there is a respect for you. And so I can't say it's the same in America. And so... It's quite nice over here because there is that respect, which is huge. And um, there are a lot of funding entities. There are a lot of nonprofits. There are a lot of uh, opportunities to apply to get your, you know, if you win or, you know, you, whatever, um, you can get your voice out there. Um, obviously, there are these huge systematic problems everywhere in the world, in the global art market. And um, so I'm not saying like those, those problems are all still there. Um, but there's a bit more um, access to the arts over here in the UK that I'm finding is really helpful for my own personal career so that I can work more globally. And, you know, um, perhaps I can come back to the US and shake things up and say, look how they're doing it over here. Why aren't we doing this? Um, and obviously, um, you know, the political situation in the US, again, is really bad right now. Um, I really, if I can shout out an organization, PEN America is incredible because uh, Jennifer Egan's the president. She actually went to PEN. Right. She's, you know, she does, she comes back to PEN quite a lot. I believe she's teaching now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but she's, I, I've been really excited to see like PEN America under her leadership um, of just really advocating for the free expression. And when those times, in those times where free expression is uh, compromised or artists are, artists, writers, journalists get um, punished for for what they say to speak truths. Um, you know, Pen America is the first to say, hey, this isn't right. Uh, mm. And and so um, it's really important because who would think this was going to happen in the United States? And look what's, you know, you, you see that, uh, That's crazy. that um, you know, artists and writers and any creatives should never be... Um, feel threatened and or punished in any way for their work. What would you say to people to turn your own question back on you? The question of, um, yeah, why it's important to help, um, people that aren't in your country or in your same socioeconomic level or a different religion. Um, yeah. how, why would you, how would you um, explain that importance? Well, uh, I think it's, um, it's understanding like human 
value and worth and also understanding that circumstances can flip on you at any moment, right? Like you and how many works of literature show this and still people, people are scared to kind of let go of their privilege sometimes. Um, whatever curveballs life can throw at you, you can lose whatever castle you're sitting on right now at any moment. And so it could be, and some, sometimes the most, <laughs> the most threatening is just your bodily health. Right. Um, so when that happens, sometimes it shakes people and you, you realize like, oh, hey, like I, I should be connecting more with my, you know, my community, my, and when I say community, I think we're more globalized now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think it's realizing, um, the value of humanity and the fact that, you're, you know, you are really no different from someone else, um, that you can put your, you can coat yourself in different privileges that you have, but you can also lose access to those things. And, um, there, I think everyone has a responsibility to kind of spread the, the, the wealth to a certain extent. And I don't necessarily mean capital wealth. There are different ways to do it. It could be literally just like helping your neighbor or like, I think here in the UK, um, homelessness is a huge problem as it is everywhere but they have a really nice system here in london of like uh reporting when someone's like um what's it called uh sleeping rough sleeping rough yes yeah. thank you uh sleeping rough and like you there are different charities that come out and help people and so like things like that i just think are good and there's never there's never a situation where you should ever look down upon other people yeah i think it's so important and like you said it's kind of like a, a moral imperative really right mm -hmm. now especially if if we want to progress not only as as a society but really you know the world if we want to maintain and yeah. succeed and grow and actually see any change or growth we have to get outside of ourselves yes yeah and wherever wherever that is wherever you live wherever you're from whatever your background is, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really great. And again, the arts are one way to do this, but if, you know, there are other ways as well. Um, it's really great if you, like, make a personal goal of, like, I'm going to meet this type of person that's totally different than me, like, once a month at this type of event. Like, it, maybe it's too strategic. It sounds silly, but, no, but maybe, like, show you know, up to some, events, You might need it to places. be that tangible to yeah. just... <laughs> understand how it works because i think like the most beautiful things in life are really when you meet people who are totally different from you that you never thought you would like interact with these people and they change the way you see the world that's mm -hmm. that's you know the arts allow that but you know the research we do for the arts is literally that right we should, like artists and writers and poets and you know all of us um we go places a lot to try to interact with people we don't normally interact with or that we don't um that are always kind of challenging the assumptions we have I think that's a huge thing to like yeah and instead of do. running away from that I think that's pe normally people's instinct is oh run away from something that's different and our op opinion that's different I mean that's very clear especially mm -hmm. looking um at the states but leaning into that like mm -hmm. and that's kind of really why I wanted to have this podcast and start these conversations of you know chatting with someone who maybe is from a different background or a different experience or a different job and leaning into that of like, okay, mm -hmm. what's your opinion? What's your idea? Let's get mm -hmm. it out there on the table because both sides can learn 
mm-hmm, each other mm-hmm. and you don't have to necessarily be actively teaching each other's things or like trying to change someone's opinion it's just the mere exposure mm-hmm. to that that I think everyone can do and should do yeah 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 what are three non-negotiables you have in your life right now so oh, that goodness. could be yeah <laughs> that could be your personal routine books you're reading tv shows you're watching just kind of three things that are on your to-do list. I, I get really, I think of like necessities. Like, yeah, I mean, like, that's fine. Water. Or even like, think, um, well, that's important. With my Everyone's, New Jersey accent, water. Um, drink water. I'm gonna, that's, that'll be my joke. So that's my first one. Um, probably like personal space, whatever that means. So it could be both mental personal space or actual literal personal space. Um, just to have like that reflective time to digest everything. And probably green space particularly plants we'll say plants Mm. love plants big advocate for plants and water um where in your life are you working on being more flexible right now um let's see probably just my whole schedule um so i I do have to stay it's it's a big transition to go from a nine-to-five job lifestyle to like just being an artist because sometimes i'm my greatest inspiration comes at like 3 a.m. and then I have to like work early the next morning or you know I have class or I have something to go to um so I think the flexibility is part of this lifestyle and you know I'm older now I'm not like you know the the you know early you know 18 year old college student so there is also like maintaining your health with that flexibility yeah it's important and I think yeah people don't talk about that enough, even in your early 20s and your corporate job of it's all fun and games until literally you hit a wall one day and realize you can't function and yeah. you're not the 17-year-old college student anymore. Yeah, yeah. There is like an invincibility at that age that I'm like, I'm already feeling that my body and everything is different now. <laughs> yeah. Um, what item on the world or local agenda are you most passionate about right now? Hmm. Um, I think right now it's like hard for me not to be politically awakened. So I really want to see um, just general political, uh, you know, policy level initiatives that are going to kind of start addressing these like systemic global problems that we're having. Um, so like global warming is huge and we're seeing you know, day to day that there are these natural disasters that are happening in different parts of the world that hadn't seen these before and you know we might get swallowed up by a wave tomorrow and no one was paying attention it's that sort of thing that we need to take action and so i'm really um excited by the politicians that are actively talking about this and trying to come up with policy level initiatives yeah same (laughs) (laughs) what excites you about the future Hmm. let's see um I think part of being a millennial is we're part of like the most diverse generation in America. And so that excites me because um, we probably have the most power to change things for the better, to be like the most inclusive ever of people of different races, uh, genders, sexualities, all the different, you know, identities that you can classify yourself by. Um, And so that excites me because it creates a really rich texture to conversations to interactions to seeing the world and 
I think with the aid of technology, that's a, another thing I'll add in there, um, we can be the most, um, what's the word, uh, interactive like generation that we've seen yet. Because the United States, by our kind of architecture, um, we're kind of like a patchwork, which sometimes does not allow those intersections. Like if you look at London as a microcosm, it's the way the architecture of the city is that there's actually so many intersection points. But here you see a lot of like those those different identities mixing, uh, mixed and, and mingling. And the United States, if you pull that lens back, it's kind of more of a patchwork of like sub communities that stay within their sub communities and maybe they don't talk or they do talk. Um, so I think with technology, we can kind of get over some of those geographical boundaries and it's happening among our generation. Like it happens every day with the friends that we, I think within, among millennials, all of our friends are like all over the world and we keep in touch. Yeah. Yeah. That's a po- real, the positive side of technology and it's really not a demon if we don't allow it to allow it to be right I think it right can, it can really be a tool yep yeah. there are negative repercussions but oh of course and the positives i think can outweigh it just smart yeah. smart use i guess it's one yeah. of those things that it's not going away so how do we yeah learn how to use it to its most positive capacity mm-hmm. yeah so um what do you have coming up and where can people find you i guess you mentioned the you're going to venice yeah yeah. i'd love for you to just mention that sure yeah so uh you know why is the uk awesome for the arts one of them is they have uh the british council which is like the hugest or you know cultural entity here in the uk um sponsors fellowships for um young artists uh or you know current students um or researchers to go to the Venice Biennale, which is basically the Olympics of the art world, um, where every nation that uh, is a part of the Biennale picks out their top artists um, for the year and puts on like mini museum shows for these artists. Um, so I get to go there as a fellow, and I'm going to be stewarding the British Pavilion, which basically means I get to watch over the art and talk to the public and engage with them. Um, and then the other half of my time there, I get to just work on my own artistic research and I'm hoping that will lead to an exhibition, maybe in Venice, definitely here in London. Um, but I'll be producing. When produce- is that? This summer? Um, we'll see. Okay. Um, but I'll definitely be producing work from it, but I will have three other shows this summer. Um, so it's going to be a very busy, uh, summer, but the best way to follow is, uh, I have a website, ginadecagna.art. I just made my Instagram public. So I saw that. Did you see that? Yes. Yeah. So that's now like a way anyone can follow me. So I'm at G Decagna. Um, and yeah, and I'm making a newsletter as well. So Oh, great. Yeah. So I'll link to all of that in the show notes and you can send me um, your newsletter as yeah, well. Yeah, make yeah. sure everyone can follow you. <laughs> thank well, you so yes, much. Yes, thank you. It was such a good conversation. I mean, isn't she just fantastic? She's one of those friends where when you first meet them, you're almost overwhelmed by how cool and accomplished they are. But then you realize that hopefully, the more you surround yourself with people like that, you'll start becoming maybe a little bit more accomplished and cool yourself. Or at least you'll start realizing your full potential and become a little bit more goal-oriented and connected with all that you really can accomplish because this person is just reflecting all of that back to you. So as we mentioned, you can find her at 
Gina DeCagna on Instagram or online at ginadecagna.art. And I've linked to all of that in the show notes. So if you want to see more of her art or learn more about her, you can find her there. And while we're giving credit to artists where it's due, I wanted to shout out the artist behind my podcast cover art, which is my sister, Delaney McCallum. You can find her at by.delaney on Instagram. She's very cool, probably cooler than I'll ever be. Um, Also, Generation Z, so we'll see. Maybe I'll get her to chat on this podcast sometime. Cute little 19-year-old. And also shout out to my brother, Logan, who created the music, the intro and outro music for the podcast. So it's been a real sibling collab. Um, Thank you guys so much again for tuning in. Subscribe, rate and review if you feel so inclined. And I'll see you next Monday.